Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now this week's message. I was in a grocery store this week and this fellow in line called out to me right in front of people. He said, hey, you need to be praying for those of us at Lockheed. We're going on, I can't remember if he said, seven, I think seven or eight weeks without work. And I could see it in his face and, and there's lots of faces in that situation. That's a hard situation. I got to thinking about you know, when we gather together and what we gather for, we gather to kind of remind ourselves of what really matters in this life. And we try to encourage each other when we get here because all of us have a story this morning. And Paul in Romans 8 desperately wants you to look past this life to see what is awaiting you so that not not pie in the sky but somehow so that it brings meaning to where you are now and for Paul he wants you to know ultimately you're as safe as you can be because you're caught up in a reality that's not of this world ultimately and I was thinking about the storm and I thought, I wonder if there's some different people that you might be here to, in the different scenario here today. You might be in a situation where you're out of the boat in the storm. You have a life preserver on though. You're hanging in there right now, but you're hurting and you don't know, but you're in tune with God. And I wonder how many of you, that's you. That's where you are right now. You're in tune with God, but there's some stuff going on. But then there's others of you, and I think of this person, and sometimes I feel like this person. I feel like the person that's out here lost, like caught in a net, you know. I don't think God knows where I'm at. Do you ever have that feeling? I think he just flat overlooked me. And I'm floating around in the ocean somewhere, and there's not a boat in sight. And I I don't know. Can't see anything. Now, how many of you are like that? You feel that way. I feel that way sometimes. Or you might be one of those people that, uh, if you're like me, you're melancholy, you're always looking ahead, and you, you see a storm coming. It's not here yet. I, used to, I grew up in Florida. You could stand outside and watch the storm coming right down your street. Hurricane kind of storm. And you could see it coming, and then you run inside right at the last minute. How many of you, it's not there yet, you see it coming? How many of you see it coming? You're like, uh-oh. Hey, Paul says you're caught up in another reality. And every single thing that happens to you because you are God's child, according to Romans 8, matters to God. As, as No matter which one of these you're in, it matters to him right now. And I wonder if in your heart you could say, God, this is really, really hard for me to say, but I'm going to give, I'm, I'm just, I trust you. Can you actually say that? Can the words actually come out in your mind? 
won't you bow your head so I can pray? Father, I, I know how each one of these feels. I have suffered with you well, and I have suffered with you in the dark and lost and felt like you didn't care about me. And I have seen storms coming. And I know in this room there's lots of storms. And there's not a one of us that you don't love just like your own son, Jesus Christ. Because we're linked to him. We cannot be lost. We are safe and sound in your entire redemptive plan starting now into the future. I long for you to bring that hope into the hearts and lives of people in this room where they can tangibly sense even though they have nothing, not a floating board to grab onto in this reality, that they can still sense your presence and ultimate faithfulness. That's my prayer, Lord. And we thank you for your word that confirms that to us. And we celebrate that truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Yeah, you are in our prayers. If you're going through those difficulties, especially now as we are in this text in Romans 8, and Paul is really approaching suffering a little differently than you might find it in other texts or when you look at suffering from a biblical theological standpoint, Paul's looking at it a little bit differently. And part of that is because, obviously, the angle that he's coming at, which is the security of the believer. That's his concern in Romans 8. Um, more specifically, that security is demonstrated through the activity and work of the Holy Spirit in your life, which should be visible to you. Paul has made the spiritual life very tangible. If you have heard anything, I hope you've heard that. You're not lost about, well, what is the spiritual life, and what does it look like, and what does it feel like? Because Romans 8 has made it crystal clear what, what that is. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is active in our life means that we are his children. And because we are his children, that relationship is unbreakable. It's unbreakable. Even in suffering. And so we're seeing now in this little section of Romans 8 is how, do, how does the secure saint suffer? So what do you mean by asking that question? Well, how does he think? How does the secure saint think about his everyday life now? That's what I mean. And we saw a very, very critical link. In Romans 16 and 17, that we're heirs of God and we are fellow heirs with Christ. And because we are connected to him, obviously we're going to, we see that we suffer and we are glorified. Both of those are true and they are linked together. And if you don't have time to really elaborate on this, but if you weren't here last week, it's really important that you understand the importance of this linking, the linking of suffering and glory. Glory is the end, what God ultimately intended for you. 
It's not just some big parade or uh, party in heaven. Heaven's not a museum. Remember, you don't get to just gawk around at it. The glory is your glory. You glorified. All the glory in Romans 8 is yours. It's your future. Paul has you thinking and looking toward that. And you can't have one of these, and the importance of the link is you can't have one of those without the other. Suffering is a part of that link. And remember, glory is the transformation, making you suitable to enjoy God's full world as he intended it when he recreates it in the future, to be able to interact with it at all levels because he, re- because he remakes you. And we'll see a little bit about how that looks like here in just a moment. But because the goal is transformation, suffering has a really important part to play in that. It's not like they can be divided. All right, so here's really the point. Not even suffering can jeopardize your salvation because God is able to keep you in and through this broken world. In fact, he actually uses pain as a part of the process of accomplishing his ultimate plan in the future. That's why they're so critically linked. It's not like, oh, you just suffer first, then you get heaven as a kind of a consolation prize. Good boy, good boy. No, 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 no. This is a part of a a package of turning you into something. See, in heaven, you're turned into something suitable for all that God has intended. This is a wonderful, wonderful way to look at eternity that Paul's giving us. So suffering then is not separate and it's not meaningless. It's not a meaningless experience at all. Paul is infusing pain with the kind of meaning that nothing else, nothing else in this world can give meaning to pain like Paul is giving to it now. Remember, your present is to be interpreted based upon what's happening later and the future is what's giving all this meaning to the present. So he infuses it with meaning, all right? Now, there's a kind of a, uh, I want you to notice something here about these two things, and there's a little bit what I would call a little rationale for suffering. Because here's what I want you to make sure you understand with this link before I move on to the next point. So you have suffering, and then you have glory, which we were looking at. Remember, this part of Romans 8, and you hit verse 17, this part of Romans 8, that's the emphasis, is on the end. So the way Paul handles how to view suffering is by focusing on this year. So we're trying to figure out how this year is going to help us now. Okay? So it's both. But the link is, what I want you to see is that glory is not just, this is really important to the whole theme we've been talking about in Romans from the get-go, months ago, years, maybe decades, I can't remember. (laughs) That these two are absolutely connected. They are not, hey, let me live my life here, figure out how it works, and then somehow I get heaven and everything that I didn't care about then matters now, and it's all over now, and there's no relationship between them. This is, when we start doing this, we start looking at people who go, hey, how come you gave your life to Christ, but then you did whatever you wanted to here, as if heaven were just, well, when we get to heaven, it'll all be okay, and I don't have to do anything for God now. That's why this linking is so critical. Because it takes that whole mentality out. Theologically, biblically, Paul is removing that as a possible 
construct by which to live the Christian life. Hey, I'm going to give my life to Christ because heaven sounds really good one day. They're not separated. They're a part of it. In other words, since that's transformation, God's already started the process of transforming you now. You can't abandon the process of transformation now in hopes that it'll happen later. Paul sees them so connected that he can't imagine someone saying, I would like heaven. Can I have it too? Yeah, sure, you can have it. And then you do whatever you want to here, and then all of a sudden you get to heaven and everything's great. That is not how Paul's picturing it. The linking is critical for that reason. And that's why Paul is saying salvation is not something that can be lost because it's a transformation that starts here and ends here. So you can't abandon the middle piece. This is really important. I was thinking about some of the, perhaps you have done this as you listen to country music because there's a theology in country music. It's not a good one. It's a horrible one if you're basing your life on it. And by the way, if you listen to it every day, you might be more than you think. And I know because I listen to it. It's one of the musics that I listen to. It's the kind of music that I listen to. And, and, and I, I like it, but every once in a while, I mean, my ears perk up to some really poor theology, especially as it relates to heaven. You know, Kenny Chesney's? Sing it with me. Everybody wants to go to heaven. What? Nobody wants to go now, see? And you know what that says? That says, this is what that says in your head. Hey, heaven's a great place if, if you can't be here. You see? Heaven's a really great place if you can't be here. All that does is distinguish it between, hey, I get to do what I want now, and then when I get to heaven, then I'll stop worrying about myself, then I'll stop worrying about my life, then I'll stop doing what I want to do, and then I'll focus on God in heaven. Is that possible theologically in Paul's thinking? It is not possible. They go together. We go together. like All right. That's my real personality, by the way. I don't show it all the time, but I sing. A thought comes into my head, and a song comes into my head with it, and I sing it. That's what I do at home. And so I've made up more songs than you can imagine. All right, so that's what Paul is saying. They go together. All right, how about Zach Brown's song? You know, I'm not in a hurry today. My life's a wreck, right? He essentially says it. I got the words. One of these days I'm going to have to return to the cold, cold ground. Have them take their time when they're putting this center down. Heaven knows that I ain't perfect. I've raised a little cane and I plan to raise a whole lot more. Before I hear those angels, he plans to raise a whole lot more cane. Before he heals, hears angels sing, he ain't hearing angels sing. <laughs> That's not possible in this construct. All right? And then in parentheses, it's I'm going to get right with the Lord. Or there'll be hell to pay. He'll know he'll be in trouble. But I ain't in no hurry. And if that's your perspective of the Christian life, you're not in this construct. You're not a child of God. Because Paul's whole point about Romans 8 is we are in a hurry. We are in a hurry for the transformation that the Holy Spirit is already starting in our lives. We see it and we anticipate more of it. And so we're willing to hurt because we know what's coming. We are in a hurry. That's how believers suffer. That's how the secure saint suffers. He's in a hurry for God to accomplish what he ultimately accomplishes, willing to go through anything for that. Isn't that amazing? So yes, we are in a hurry. C.S. Lewis said this, 
Faith is not a matter of what Christ said a long time ago and you, you, know, you hear Christ and then you try to do it, he says. And you just try to carry it out. You know, come to Christ, I'm going to go to heaven, I don't have to worry about too much now. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. Rather, the real Son of God is at your side. Which is the Holy Spirit. He is beginning to turn you into, into the same kind of thing as himself. It's already starting. He is right by your side now. It's not one day you're going to be with him and he's going to do it all. The Holy Spirit, the whole, Paul's whole point is the Holy Spirit's in your life right now doing it. He is beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life, his thought, his life into you. Beginning to turn you, and this is an image in, in mere Christianity, tin soldiers, turning, he's turn, beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. Then he adds, the part of you that doesn't like it is still tin. And that's important because there is a part of you that makes it really hard. This is a struggle. It does hurt to become like Christ. And the part of me that doesn't like it is still fleshly and human. But there is another part of me inside of me that's longing for what God is doing in the future. All right? So you see that this isn't an experiment. Hey, let me bring people to Jesus. Let me see if I can just do it then. They'll do their best here and struggle now, and then one day I'll do something really great for them. That's not the plan. The plan is always from day one to turn you into his son, starting now, not in the future. It's not a pipe dream of God's. It's what he's doing. So, suffering is not avoidable, and it's not optional because it's a part of the whole process. You can't alleviate, you can't eliminate it. So, what I want you to see, I guess, is salvation is a package. It has a past, present, and future reality to it. And it's a package. You can't have part of the package and not all of it. Especially as it relates to turning into Christ's Son, or God's Son. And last week I told you that they give meaning to one another. That gives meaning to this and this gives meaning to that. And without that you can't have, this doesn't mean anything. So they're incredibly linked for, for, for a million, myriad of reasons. I told you last week, started out, suffering prepares us for glory. Suffering prepares us for already beginning to turn into God's Son now. And that's really important for your spiritual life. You say, what is spirituality? Paul is telling you the Holy Spirit is turning you into Jesus starting now. That means everything you think, everything you do, all of your values, all of your priorities, the way you treat people, how you handle money, your life, all of it, all of it is a part of this process. And to the degree that you ignore parts You slow the process down and you frustrate yourself and you grieve the Holy Spirit who's trying to turn you into something. Or to the degree that you ignore the whole reality of what he's trying to do, you just die here on the vine. So it's already begun. And so believers, to Paul, he says, we're readying ourselves for this thing here. It's not like we're waiting, yeah, we'll just see what happens, do our best now, see what happens. No, Paul says we're readying for that. We're looking forward to a time when every single molecule in our body will be surrendered to God in all reality, every particle will be in alignment with God's will. That's what we're readying for. How do you ready for it? You turn into his son now no matter what's happening. You obey him now, whatever, whatever, whatever. 
is happening. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing I think is so awesome that's really changed my perspective on the spiritual life. You don't want to look lost in heaven. You don't want to get here and go, wow, the whole thing was about change? Wow, I didn't change anything. I was, I was a real jerk, wasn't I? You ever hear that little phrase, hey, act like you've been here before? Would you act like you've been here before? When we get to heaven, heaven is going to feel like the natural conclusion to what God has been doing in us all along. It's not going to be that shocking at that level. You see? That's a phenomenal thought. That gives me a whole different perspective and motivation on why I, I need to be godly today. Today, this very minute, this hour, next week, next Monday, today, every minute. A whole new perspective. The second thing that suffering does, I think, in Paul's mind here, the first one is, obviously, it prepares us for it. The second one is it makes it sweeter. Glory's going to feel sweeter after you've suffered a little bit. Romans 5. Let me see, I got... Uh, I'm going to jump to here. Romans 5. Remember, uh, we exalt. Remember what Paul said in Romans 5? This is a few chapters back. We exalt in the hope of the glory of God. You understand why he said that? Because salvation means there's a future for us. And we've already learned now in Romans 8, because Paul's speaking back to, remember, Romans 5 and Romans 8 kind of mesh. They're the same truths redone. And so here's Paul in Romans 5 talking about our hope of glory. Well, now we know what he means by that. Our full transformation. That's what we're hoping for. But look what he says here. And not only this, we actually exult in tribulation. Here's the link again. Why would we, ex why would we rejoice in a great future and, re and rejoice in a hard now? Because they, they're accomplishing the very same thing. It's God's will and it's God's plan and he's accomplishing the very same thing. That's where meaning comes from. Even my difficulties now are a part of the wonder and hope that I have. So they're, they're meshed together. Because they can't be separated, I can rejoice in the future and I can rejoice in now. That's how closely connected they are. Look, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. This is the word he uses in 8.25. And perseverance, proven character. And here's a, here's a text that I meditated on this week a little bit. It's always thrown me off a little bit. And proven character, look, he ends it there, and then he adds hope again. Remember, hope was in verse 2. So why would proven character then hope? Look at this connection right here. Started out rejoicing in hope, Paul. Why do you bring up hope again? Now watch, just think about this for a second. If transformation is what I'm waiting for, then every day I change has me longing for it even more. You see? Why does hope come back in the picture? Because my, as my character changes, I long for that ultimate character change even more every day as I'm changing. That's the connection between those two. So character produces in me an even greater longing for that ultimate full change. So you can see, if you're not changing, then your hope isn't that great, and it may be out of whack. And if your hope is out of whack, then you can't gain any meaning for your present. And so the whole thing gets messed up. 
So somehow as I grow, it increases my spiritual capacity to take in what God, has, what God intends for me as I grow. So let me just ask you this question, because here's the question I ask myself, and that's simply what I do, is I just ask myself the questions I'm going to ask you. And then, you know, it, I mean, one of these days, I'm going to move from depending on him as much as I can in this life to depending on him totally for that environment. I'm going to be totally connected and living out of an eternal reality at, at some point. And so here's the question. Is there anyone in here who could say that what God is trying to do in you, you could do it without any pain? Because you know how sometimes you go, Lord, I really would like to grow without hurting. You know that subconscious thing that you say to the Holy Spirit all the time? Holy Spirit, really? No, it's, it's okay. I'm good. I'm good. You know that feeling? But really, how many of you think you could really start to truly become like Christ in a totally perfect, easy environment? No failing. I mean, if you never failed, and if you never hurt, and if no one ever crossed you, and if you didn't ever lose anything again, I mean, everything you have, you keep. You never lose it again. Do you think you'd really grow? Do you think God would really be what you want the most? I hate saying this, but I wouldn't. I'm so fickle. Are you fickle? There are things in this life I wake up and all of a sudden, I don't know why they matter to me today. They didn't matter to me yesterday. They matter to me today. And if God didn't take some stuff away, I'd never figure it out. That's why Paul says in this text, uh, we rejoice in tribulations. Because we know what they're doing. We know what the end is and we're, we're good with it. Now watch this, because now we're actually going to move off from verse 17, which we've been on for I don't know how long. Now I'm mixing up this next text. I'm kind of going from place to place, but you'll, you'll see the logic in it in a minute. I'm skipping down to verse 24 because I'm still in the idea that suffering makes glory sweeter. Now look what he says in verse 24 and 25. So I'm skipping a few verses. I'll come back to them. Look what he says to make my point a little sweeter. In hope we have been saved. This is a great line and filled with lots of meaning now that you know what you know. See, you are saved. That's, an, that's a past tense. Here's your past. You are past with a built-in future. So there's Paul just connecting the whole thing again. You can't wait to be like Jesus when you get to heaven because you're saved with that hope in there. So they are a part of it. That's the reason why you can't lose your salvation. They're a package. They come together. So we have been saved in hope. The salvation you had in the past, whenever you gave your life to Christ, is filled with a future reality already. And we already see what the hope is, and that's transformation. But the hope that is seen is not hope. If you see it, it isn't hope. You're not anticipating it. If you already have it, you don't want it. You don't anticipate it. Who hopes for what he already sees? We, we, we already... But if we hope for what we do not see, then look, with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. So Paul has this transformation dangling out in front of you. He said, boy, if, if you could see it, it wouldn't be hope. There's a future part to your salvation. 
And, it's an, and it creates anticipation. But they're part and parcel of the same thing. There's just a part of it you can't see yet. In other words, salvation is mostly back-end loaded. It's mostly back-end loaded. There's a big part of it you can't see yet, but it's coming. But you, have, but you have clues of its presence in your life now. So Paul keeps you staying and healthy and stable now because there's clues to it now. But ultimately, when you see it, it's going to be great. And this is this, you know, the only illustration. I worked out in the yard yesterday. I, spent, I got up, and I, I went a little crazy yesterday. I did everything I wanted to do yesterday. By the time it was about 6 o'clock, I was finished. And the whole time I was doing it, one of the things I did was clean the pool. I had to do our whole yard, clean the pool, wash two cars. Um, I, I did everything I could do. And the last thing I wanted to do at the end of the day was get a workout in. But now I'm sweaty, I'm exhausted. The pool is looking much cleaner than I thought I had cleaned it because I was so exhausted. And I said, I gotta get this little work. So I just went in, got a little workout in. Meanwhile, during the day, there were some ladies, and I'm not going to name who they were. You know, they were laying out, you know, in the pool doing a few of these little exercises, you know. And I'm like, they're not going to appreciate that pool the way I'm going to appreciate that pool. When I jump in that pool, the whole pool is going to feel my body. Because I was exhausted, tired, sweaty, and I knew what it would mean to me. And they just didn't have my joy. That's all. They just didn't have my joy. And that's the way suffering is. When we get there, when we finally do see it, I promise you that relief is going to be amazing. But if you don't suffer at all, I'm not sure you'll understand true transformation if you're not doing any painful transformation now, you see. This won't be that great. And I love how Paul words this, you know, because if, if you don't see it. Have you ever wanted something really bad and then got it? And it really wasn't that great. But you really wanted it. And when you're younger, this happens. But even as you're older, this happens. And it could be as simple as a movie. You're really anticipating a movie, a movie, a movie, and then you go see it, and what? It was all right. But you can't wait for it to come out. And it's just, it was all right. It wasn't great. And you know, Dr. Spock is attributed to a saying we all pretty much learn early. Maybe our parents say it to us, but my parents said it to me. And Dr. Spock from Star Trek said, having is not so pleasing a thing as wanting. Sometimes wanting is better than having it. You get it, and it just, that's not how heaven's going to be. Heaven is going to be more than you hoped for. That's, and that's why he says in chapter 5, and I love this, hope that does not disappoint. 5-5. Five, five. Character, hope, in 8-4, and then 5 starts out, and hope does not disappoint. You will not be disappointed. You will not go, you you're kidding me? I went through all of that for that? No. doesn't disappoint. Because spiritually, we want so desperately for God's will and way to be normal in our life. And that's Paul's point here, by the way. If you're his son, then you want desperately to have what he has for you. And because you want so desperately his life to be in your life, you look forward to heaven because you know that ultimately you'll be doing every, every bone, every molecule, every muscle in your body will be in tune with him, and it's what you've longed for, see? 
At least it should be. If the Holy Spirit's in you, you should be longing for it. You say, how do, how do saints suffer? How do secure saints suffer? They suffer with anticipation because they want to be transformed. If you don't want to be transformed into Jesus Christ, then you may not be in Romans 8. There's another chapter for you. We'll talk after the service. So hope doesn't float. It pulls you. It pulls you toward how? By making you persevere. By making you struggle every day, every minute of every day to be like Christ, eagerly awaiting what he's ultimately going to do to you. You're not satisfied being the man you are. You are not satisfied being the woman you are. And the Holy Spirit continues to create anticipation in you for that ultimate fulfillment. So you act on it now. That's the point. Because I know I'm going to be transformed, because I know the Holy Spirit's transforming me now, waiting every day for him to do something new in my life. Change me. Now, Paul will go back up. Let me go back now. Okay, suffering is sweeter. And notice what he says in verse 18, because I think 18 is the main point he's making from 17 to 30. I consider, knowing what you know now, you put your brain to work. That's what consider means. I mentally, intellectually, literally, by faith, by faith I understand then that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be. Look, at the, look how it is stated. This is critical. Not the glory you get to enter. The glory that's going to be Revealed in you. See, remember, it's about you and your transformation. That's why God can't, Paul can't think of anyone who would come to Christ and imagine himself not changing. That's the whole point. And one of these days, the glory of your transformation is going to be fully revealed. And that is going to, and Paul is about to prove to you that that is amazing. And I'm simply incapable, and I know it ahead of time, of helping you understand that with human words. I can't. But his point is, this is a little great little word, because it has the idea of scales. And you look at it, you go, you can't compare one with the other. You put one on a scale, put the other on a scale, just go, poof, just like this. So the suffering just goes up, because it's light, and it doesn't even have much much texture to it compared to the glory. It just outweighs it. And, and you know, kavod, which is the Hebrew word for glory, means weighty, you know. It means substantial, real, something tangible, something you can grab. Heaven isn't a fog. It's a transformation of you. And you can't even compare the two. What you look like now and what you're going to be can you imagine getting to heaven and looking at the suffering of the world and thinking it almost nothing in comparison to what God's going to do? Can you imagine how great glory must be if you can look at the pain and suffering in our lives and in the world and go, you can't even compare? Wow. That's almost too much for the mind to take in. And I want you to see that this says to us, in us is better. And I'll show you through the, the rest of Romans why in us is a better translation. It's just, a, it's, just in a, it's just the way to translate the genitive. It's just in us. 
It's what he's doing in us. It's going to be revealed, not to us, not, oh, wow, look at all the fireworks. No, no, no. It's in us. Remember what C.S. Lewis said? Right now, you were looking at each other, and you might appear to each other to be kind of dull and uninteresting. Remember in The Way to Glory, he says that? What you see now, it just looks kind of every day. But if you could see what he means by this, Paul, C.S. Lewis says, if you could see what God means by this about me, you, you, if you could see it fully, you might be tempted to worship me if you could see what he has in store here. That's, that's his great line. I love it. And so this life is of little significance, Paul is saying, in that comparison. What is significant is who I am becoming. That's what God cares about every day, all day, is who you are becoming. John Newton, I I like this little picture. See if this picture helps you. When I read it, I've been thinking about it for like three weeks now. But John Newton gave this image about us who are in these present times suffering, but one of these days we're going to get to glory, and when we get there, we won't even think twice about it. Here's the image he gives. It's pretty simple and short. He says, suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large estate, and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think of him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. And that's all he thinks of. How big of a fool would he be? What would we think of that guy? And Paul has given me this image about my life and about some of the things I deal with. It's just, it's like a broken down carriage because I'm on my way to something far more significant. And even if I have to walk a little bit of the way, it's going to be worth it. That's the image. It's powerful to me. Love it. Now, Paul says, how great is the glory going to be? Just follow his logic. It's just so great. So you say, yeah, suffering prepares us for glory. Suffering makes glory sweeter. Paul says you can't even compare it. And, and if you could see it, it wouldn't be in, you wouldn't anticipate it. How great is it going to be? Watch this. Two ways you know it's great. It's actually three, but we're only going to get to only going to get to one of them today, I think. Look at what he says. For the anxious, this is verse 19, right after verse 18. For the anxious longing of all creation waits eagerly, here it is, for the revealing of the sons of God. This is our revealing. That's how you know verse 18 means in us, not to us. Because he's talking about our revelation. Not what we see, how we are transformed. So now Paul says, how great is this going to be? Even creation is longing for your change. That's what he's saying. Now, in this text, you're going to see groaning. There's three groanings going on. You've got the creation groans, believers groan, and the Holy Spirit groans. And they're all groaning for the same exact thing, folks. Our revelation. 
So they're all groaning for the same things. They're figuring out the groanings, not that difficult. We're all, they're all groaning for the same thing, your transformation, our transformation. That's what this whole text is about, groaning for our glory. So that's all the glory. That's why you can't, this is why Paul's saying, can anyone imagine coming to Christ and not changing? That's what we're all groaning for. If you don't have the heavenly groaning, which is simply a, is just, all it means is heavenly longing. It's just a longing for something that isn't there yet. A longing for something that's partially there but isn't fully there. That's all the groaning is. Creation's doing it. You do it and the Holy Spirit does it. This is all groaning for this very same thing. You see, God is working all of redemptive history to change you and me. That's why your change is so important to him. The thought that he would save you and then not care if you live holy is ludicrous. The whole thing is about transforming you. Creation is personified here in a double compound way, eagerly waiting and anxiously longing. And the picture of the verbs is literally this. Creation's on its tiptoe, craning its neck to see. On its tiptoes, craning its neck to see. What's it looking for? Heaven? No. You. Can't wait till you're transformed. Sick of looking at you like you are. That's what it is. Creation's sick of looking at you. And it's just silly to me. Science deifies matter. And matter is looking at you like you're the big deal. Not me. You're the big deal. I took some pictures when I go to, uh, last couple years I've been fortunate to, to meet a friend in Aspen and do my first week of study when I go on summer break in Aspen, which I know is real suffering, I'm sorry. But there's a spot there that I get to go to, and I just stand right there and look at it. Can you see it? It's just beautiful. And after I took the pictures, standing here, and you can walk up, it's just beautiful. Um, after thinking of Romans 8, I'm thinking, here I am gawking at creation. Guess what creation's doing? Gawking right back at me. You think we're a big deal? You're the big deal. What God is doing in you is the big deal. That's what's the big deal. I just, wow, because that's what Paul is saying here. And so, really, you have creation is, is pictured in three ways in this text. The first one is as an audience. Creation is pictured as an audience waiting to see you come on stage, waiting to see God transform you into the image of his son. That's creation as an audience. Look at verse 20. Here's creation was subjected to futility. This is Genesis 3. And I don't want to go into a whole lot of time. You could spend days and day, weeks and weeks on this thought. But the really reality is subjected to futility the whole problem with the broken world, that's what futility is. The whole problem with the broken world is sin, and, and it started in, and here you see creation as a victim. You see it in the audience in verse 19, but it's a victim in verse 19, because when you fell, when Adam and Eve fell, all of creation was cursed. That's why it's messed up, and it knows it's messed up. And it's messed up because you fell. So creation is linked to you. Your fall is its fall. Your rise will be its rise. 
So creation is looking at you. That's how awesome this thing is going to be. That every particle, the tiniest particle in the universe, to the farthest galaxy in the universe is waiting for the revelation. That means, that means every time you and I change a little bit in our lives, it has cosmic implications. Can I just say that again? In case you're wondering what in the world the spiritual life is all about. When you change, when you're not as big a jerk as you used to be, All of heaven is going, there's another sign, it's coming. There's another sign, it's coming. There's another sign, it's coming. Isn't that cool? And how many of us could be jerks today after this? I'm going to watch my P's and Q's like you cannot believe. Right? But even when God subjected it to futility and creation became a victim, it was done in hope. Watch this. This is just about the end here. Creation itself also will be set free, and it's looking for its own set, its own freedom. But notice how it interprets its own freedom. In other words, it's not bound by sin anymore. It doesn't have all the problems it has now, all the issues, from thorns to hurricanes to tsunami and everything else that's broken in the universe. It can't wait to be free from that. But notice, the freedom it's longing for is the freedom we have it's longing to bask in our freedom, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Isn't that amazing? It's so humbling, this text, that you take center stage to imagine, I'm going to say it again, this is the refrain for this sermon, that you would come to Christ and, cons and not consider changing or becoming holy is ludicrous because all of reality is building toward your transformation when you come to Christ. And notice, here's creation depicted as one more thing. It was, a, it was an audience, it was a victim, and here it is as a pregnant woman. For we know that the whole creation groans. There's the groaning. All that is is the heavenly longing. It's just, and what is it groaning for? It's groaning for us. This whole groan is for our transformation. And it suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Now, here's creation pictured as a woman who's pregnant. Very simple image. And really, it's not complicated. It's just this whole idea that something wonderful's coming. And every, you know, we, we look at creation and sometimes we get mad at Mother Nature. You ever get mad at Mother Nature? Mother Nature's groaning. There's no Mother Nature. She's groaning. She hates who she is. She doesn't like being that way. She's waiting for your transformation. It's just powerful. So she's awkwardly, like a pregnant woman, awkwardly moving and struggling. You know, and awkward, you know how they do. Moving around, trying to get places. Can't get in the car. Can't carry stuff. That's creation for you. Just this big, awkward woman. Isn't that great? Boy, I'm going to get some emails. Look. <laughs> but here's the point. Every millisecond of a pregnant woman's pain, every millisecond of it, she knows there's something in there she loves more than she can fathom. That's how you and I are. We hurt every day, but we know God's doing something inside of us that's so amazing. 
and we're killing ourselves for it. Every day we're trying to be holy like he's holy because it's just bursting in us and we're awkwardly moving around in this world trying to be godly. I love it. And the point that Paul's making when you can't compare the suffering and the glory, he says, in fact, suffering, you won't even remember the suffering. That's what, that's what this kind of suffering is. Once a woman has the baby, all that pain is behind. And I remember when our kids were born, how quickly I forgot about Gail's pain. I remember. <laughs> I mean, it just went right out the window for me. In fact, I actually remember saying to her, you know, babe, that was nothing. Look at this baby. Look at this baby. That was nothing. That's how it's going to feel. That's how your life will feel. Imagine feeling that way about your life. Now, I'm out of time. There was one other thing I wanted to do, but I'm going to wait. We'll, we'll connect it all together. Paul is proving that glory is better than your suffering. Can't compare it. Look at creation. It's an audience. It's a victim. It's a pregnant woman. It's all signifying something so amazing coming that we should be changing for it now. We should be changing now. But then he's going to say, and this is, to me, this is the heart of it, and I can't get to it today. And so I'm mad. We groan too. What does our groaning look like? We see creation's groaning. But verse 23, you meditate on that this week. What is our groaning? And then go to verse 26 through 30, because that's where we got to get to next week. Or I'm sorry, next week's Father's Day. Then after that, we'll get to Romans 8. And we'll finish to verse 30 in our next one. Start with verse 23. Creation groans in anticipation of all that God is doing. God help anyone who thinks that transformation is not the heart and soul of what it means to be a child of God, then you don't understand salvation. You don't. And that, folks, concerns me greatly, and that's why I won't let it go all the way through Romans 8. If Paul's not letting it go, we're not letting it go. And if you're sitting in here today and you have these weird ideas about the spiritual life that you're okay till you get to heaven and you really don't have to change. That's absolutely, completely opposite of what he's saying. And if you're sitting in here today just hoping one day you'll get around to God and hope heaven, you know, the Zach Brown mentality, you missed it. That's worth thinking about today. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that the Spirit takes the reality and these truths and these wonders and just brings them alive in our soul this week in a way that they have not, we have not seen them. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.